May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Please be seated. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here with you today. My name is Katie Campbell, and I am a senior seminarian at Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas. And in many ways, I feel like I already know you because Mother Corey here was one of the main reasons why I chose Seminary of the Southwest, and Mother Ashley Colley, who is a bit younger than I am, but graciously and patiently took me under her wing in our first Bible class and guided me because the Reverend Dr. Susan Piggott had prepared her for seminary. Thank you. So, in many ways, you, Heavenly Rest, have been a part of my formation, and I thank you. And with one semester left in seminary, I can say that I've gained a lot of knowledge and some wisdom. So here are some things that I've learned. Got this, Wally? I've learned how to exegete biblical text, and that's a seminary word for interpreting scripture. I have learned to dissect, enact, and inwardly digest liturgical theology. I know what I'm doing up there. I've learned that when you think you have figured out the Trinity, you will still secretly pray that no one makes you preach on it. (laughs) And I hope for your sake that I've learned a little bit about preaching. One thing that you may not know about seminary is that it's a monastic community. And so it's structured for a lot of downtime, I know, a lot of prayer, a lot of studying, but also a lot of fun. And for me, an extrovert, seminary is a good time. It's like going to church camp for three, three years. And that's great fun for me, but I also brought with me to seminary my husband and my two children. Seminary might not be so much fun for them. And it really wasn't very much fun for my family at first because I struggled with balancing my commitments to my husband and my children with this desire to hang out with my 20 new best friends which I may or may not have framed as studying in the library. And so it was halfway through that first semester of seminary that my children confronted me about my nightly runs to the library. You see, my seventh grader and my ninth grader weren't having such an easy time. They missed their family back home. They missed our routine. And they missed me. And so, after they confronted me, my initial reaction was denial and excuses. It wasn't helpful, by the way. 
rather than hearing what they were trying to communicate to me because I didn't want to hear it. And so it wasn't until a few days later when I was in class and a professor was addressing the class, not me in particular, but said, remember why you've been sent here. Remember, you've been here to be formed. And guess what? You're going to make mistakes, sometimes big ones, sometimes small ones. But hopefully, in that mistake, you will learn something, and you'll get it right next time. And it hit me. I recognized how I had, must have made my family feel less important and how hurtful I had been to them. And then I felt awful. And I walked around all weepy for a couple of days because I was carrying around this guilt. And what I needed was repentance. But you see, I couldn't repent until I knew what I was doing was wrong. Because you see, I didn't want to admit that truth, that it made me feel better to be with my new seminary friends. They weren't mad at me. They weren't complaining about how I'd ruined their lives. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, are the words that Jesus begins his ministry with. Repent. Now, I have been told that your clergy here at Heavenly Rest talk about repentance a lot. Well, you're going to hear it from me too. So, here we go. The word repentance carries a lot of weight. Repentance. Webster's Dictionary defines repentance as to turn away from sin, to dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life or to feel regret, or contrition, or to change one's mind. And truthfully, I think many of us, and me too, would agree with Webster's. But I don't know if that definition, I don't think that definition, gets to the heart of what Jesus is proclaiming when he preaches repentance. And so, like a good seminarian... If it doesn't fit, what do we do? We go and look at the word in its original form. And so we lo I looked at the word. What is the word for repentance in Greek? It's metanoia. And the metanoia that Jesus is calling for, the repentance that Jesus is calling for, is profound. It's life changing. It suggests this complete turn in direction. Here's an analogy that you may find help, helpful. Imagine that there's a platoon of Marines marching in unison. And when the commander blows the whistle, what do they do? They turn. And they turn as a unit and they continue in the opposite direction. 
That's like repentance. And repentance carries with it some negative connotations, right? For some, it elicits an association with the contemporary religious zealot standing on a park bench, being filled with the Holy Spirit, warning of eternal damnation. Saw that in college. Or the billboard warning the urgency of repentance because judgment day is here. Kind of scary. And others view repentance as a one and done. Repent of sins, get into heaven. And this view of repentance doesn't work for me because what happens when I inevitably fall short and make a mistake? I'm going to do it. And so the meaning of words change depending on the tone in which the speaker uses. So, for instance, if I were to say to you, I love broccoli, you'd, be, you'd think, she loves broccoli, right? But what if I said to you, I love broccoli? Not so much. Changes the meaning. So let's look at the words of Jesus today. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I've always wanted to do that. What does that elicit? What kind of response is that? How do we respond to that? Because when I hear that, I assume a negative connotation of God. You know, the angry, the wrathful, vengeful God. And that kind of repentance doesn't work for me because it positions repentance as a fear response. And that is not what Jesus is calling for. Because that's not who God is. I like this one better. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because it's good. God is good all the time. And Jesus preaches for our mutual flourishing. So I want to suggest that we look at repentance in light of who is calling us to repentance. Because to repent is to reorient oneself back to God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because when we repent, it is letting go of an untruth that no longer serves us. And it allows for our transformation, restoration, and healing. And repentance relies on God's mercy, and it is both a command and an invitation. Because repentance brings us into right relationship with God. And through repentance, our wounds are bound, our relationships restored, and peace is given. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is an act of love. And so we are able to flourish when we are unburdened by the ways in which we fall short of the person God created us to be. 
And so when we name and own our role in the painful parts of our lives and in our society, we can begin to heal. And when we are unburdened, we experience the freedom of forgiveness. Because in Christ, our mistakes do not define what we are or who we are. And our identity is not made up of what we have done and left undone. Because when we recognize our past sins, we can repent. We repent by bringing those sins into the present. Laying down our burdens at the throne of Christ. And it's conversion. It's continuous. We don't experience conversion all at once. It keeps happening over and over again. Because repentance can't be an isolated event. Because it leaves no room for error. And that feels like a lot of pressure to be morally pure. Because if all we do is acknowledge the burdens that we carry, the guilt and the regret keeps us in a stew of shame. And that's not repentance. It's not discipleship. Before the Eucharist feast, we confess. We acknowledge God's merciful nature and our need for grace. Because the truth is, is that the powers in this world, prestige, wealth, intellect, social status, color of your skin, is fueled on the assumption that our self-sufficiency is the key to success. And so in our tradition, we confess our transgressions corporately. And when we say the confession of sin in community, we are forgiven as one body. Through our corporate confession, we are returned to right relationship with the body of Christ. And then, Jesus gives us a second command. Follow me. I will make you fish for people. And so, like the early disciples, we have to drop it all. Yes, the burdens and the guilt, but also we are asked to drop our nets, to change our direction and follow and take on Jesus's identity. And it's a costly grace because you see the disciples just like you and me had commitments and jobs and families. It's really hard stuff to walk away from. They surely didn't get it right, and neither will we. But the good news is, is that God is generous with mercy. And it is through repentance that we are saved over and over again. Because there is no limit to God's grace and mercy. So friends, repent and follow, for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.